Hello, it's good to be with you. We are back in the book of Exodus today. Um, we're in a series looking at the second half of the book of Exodus, which we started a couple of weeks ago um, at chapter 19. The first half of Exodus, many of you will be familiar with. So we, a lot of us know the story of Moses in the basket and the plagues on Egypt. We've probably watched The Prince of Egypt, the movie. The second half of Exodus starts to get a bit more complicated, especially when it talks about the instructions as to what you should do when your bull gores your neighbor um, or if you find your enemy's donkey. Uh, but thankfully, those are Al's chapters for next week. But the second half of Exodus is an incredibly significant and foundational part of the Bible because there is so much revealed here about God and about what it means to be the people of God. This week, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, a really famous section of the Bible, the Ten Commandments or words. So let's start by reading this from verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land and your Lord, that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Okay, so let's start, let's get this out there right at the beginning. No one keeps the Ten Commandments perfectly. And if you say you do, then you've already broken number nine. They cover the whole range of human activity. So the first four define our relationship with God, and then the next six define our relationships with one another. And it's so important that we read them from the outset in the light of Jesus's words about them. You see, these commandments are the headlines and the implications of them speak deep into the attitudes and motivations of our hearts. 
So listen to Jesus's words in Matthew 5. This is what he has to say about commandment number six. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And then again on the seventh commandment, he says this, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Of course, Jesus could have gone on talking through all the commandments in that way, pointing out the full implications of the standards that God had laid out for Moses. So the Ten Commandments really are the headlines. They represent the holiness of God played out in the lives of human beings on earth. They show us what a life that is fully pleasing to God actually looks like and therefore cut to the heart in exposing the sinfulness of human beings without God. We can't achieve God's standards. That's the Christian message. These laws let us know that we have a problem and that we're in need of a saviour. We don't have time today to go into detail about all the individual commandments. That would be a whole sermon series in itself. But what I want to do is to use this passage to show us some things about ourselves, if you like, and how we are to live as God's people. And I think that these things are so pertinent to us right now that it's so key that we understand who we are. So here we go, three things that define us as God's people. And the first one is this, we are defined by rescue. Verse two says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And you see, this is God's starting point. Before he gives any instructions, he rescued the people from slavery. God didn't come to Moses at the burning bush and say, here are my instructions, this is what you have to do. If you follow these and do everything that I say, then I will rescue you. No, the starting point was God's love. He looked down on the Israelites in Egypt and saw their plight. He he says this, uh, Exodus 3 verse 7, I've seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out and I'm concerned about their suffering. That was God's motivation. That was the motivation for his rescue plan. You see, many people think that Christianity is about keeping rules. Uh, We were watching uh, an episode of West Wing the other day. I don't know if you know it. It's kind of behind the scenes at the White House in America. Um, It's a little bit old, but great lockdown viewing. Uh, And for the West Wing nerds out there, who knew that uh, Series 7 was so good? Anyway, pressing on. One character in it was saying that if you want to win those on the right in politics in America, in a presidential election, then all you need to do is plaster the Ten Commandments all over your campaign bus. You see, somehow there's this view that they represent orthodox Christianity, but it's so easy to get confused here. These are not the requirements for being a Christian. The requirement for being a Christian is to be in a mess and to be aware of that, to know that you've got a problem and that you're in need of a rescue by God. It's so important that we live with this truth at the centre of who we are. First and foremost, we are a people who have been rescued. And it's really easy to slip into a different way of thinking, to transition somehow to relying on what we do, on our trying to please God. The rescue comes before any requirements. How does God demonstrate his love for us? 
It's while we were still sinners that Christ died for us, Paul says in Romans. Again, with Jesus' story of the prodigal son, it was while he was still a long way off that the father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to him. This is the nature of genuine rescues, isn't it? Uh, we had a, an air ambulance helicopter the, uh, the other weekend. Uh, one of those yellow ones came and landed in a field right near our house. And it was all very dramatic. It was so loud. It sounded like it was going to land in the garden. And we kind of all rushed out to see what was going on. And apparently, it turned out later that there was a, a road traffic accident at a roundabout nearby. And the field was the nearest place. But it all happened so quickly. It arrived very quickly. We actually missed that bit. Um, they were straight in to do their rescue. I imagine there wasn't a lot of waiting around, kind of setting out the ground rules, talking about the basis on which they would do the rescue. No, they were straight in and they rescued. That's the basis on, what, on which rescues work. Working out all the consequence and the follow-up takes a whole lot longer afterwards. Of course, back in Exodus, God's rescue, getting his people out of slavery, is not the end of the story. In fact, it's just the beginning. And as we journey with the Israelites, what we realize is that the rescue, in fact, was the easy bit. Becoming the people that God intended was a long and sometimes painful journey. God's love dictates that the rescue comes first. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to say this to you. Never think that anything you do affects his love and his mercy towards you. By the way, I don't know if you've heard the prophetic word that's doing the rounds at the moment um, about the yellow rescue helicopters. If not, I, I want to say, make sure you get hold of it and listen to it. Maybe we could put a link um, with this video. Uh, it's from a leader in a, our family of churches. And it's so helpful in understanding where we are right now, in understanding what our unseen prayer and worship, the effect that it's having um, on the nation that we live in, but also how we are to function in this coming season. So actually that we, the church, are these rescue helicopters and we're to be equipped and ready to fulfill that function in the days ahead. We are rescued first to become part of God's rescue mission. That is where it all begins. And increasingly, I believe that that is how we need to see ourselves. That is what defines us. We're defined by God's rescue of us. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this, we are defined by being with God. So right from the start of Moses' journey, it was all about being with God, wasn't it? Who am I to do this, says Moses to God at the burning bush. And, and God's answer straight away is, it doesn't make sense in some ways, but it's I will be with you. That's, that's, God, that's the center point of God's plan. And God's first words to Moses back on the mountain, uh, chapter 19, verse 4, you've seen what I've done with the people of Israel. I've brought them to myself. I've brought you to myself. That's the heart of what God is about, is coming close to his people. God wants to be with his people. That's God's overriding agenda. Don't miss it. But meeting with God, you see, is not straightforward. We can't just rock up. We can't do it on our terms. He's not a pocket genie. God is holy. He's the creator. He's utterly different, utterly other than us. He won't be owned or defined by anyone else. I am who I am, he said to Moses, didn't he? Look at verse 18 of chapter 20. The presence of God was terrifying to the Israelites. The whole mountain trembled violently. There was fire and smoke and loud trumpet blasts. 
You see, when God moves in, everything changes. The Israelites needed to understand that, and we do too. It's a frightening prospect to have anything to do with the living God. There's an appropriate fear and awe in approaching him. And the instructions from God, his commandments, and all the knock-on implications of them for living as his people in his presence, they were incredibly demanding. But isn't that only what you'd expect if God is who he says he is? A key purpose of these laws, of these Ten Commandments, was to highlight the fact that in and of themselves, the people would never be able to meet God's requirements. They were to have an appropriate fear of God and let the holiness of God, the stringency of his demands, if you like, cause them to realize that they had no hope of ever meeting God's standards in their own strength. But here's the amazing news. We will discover in the chapters ahead that God provides a way through the shedding of innocent blood for every shortfall from God's standards to be covered, for sin to be dealt with, because he's a God of mercy and grace. And our only hope is to grab hold of him as our saviour. And that's where we get this great little verse, Exodus 20, verse 20. Do not be afraid, says Moses. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Don't be afraid, but let the fear of God be with you. What? You see, there's a good fear because God's awesome and worthy of worship. And we want to please him and and live a life without sin. But don't be afraid, people of God, that he's going to destroy you because you don't match up. He's a God of love and of mercy. And actually, he's all about coming to us and making a way to come and be with us. I love this quote from Tim Keller. You are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. If you're listening to this and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand today how much God loves you and wants a relationship with you. He sent his own son Jesus to die on a cross in your place that you might be with him and enjoy all the amazing benefits of life in his kingdom of love forever. But understand also that he is holy, that you will never live up to his standards on your own, and that unless you put your faith in Jesus to bridge the gap and save you, then there is no hope. You face the holiness and the judgment of God on your own. So put your faith in Jesus Christ today and make him Lord of your life know this mercy and this forgiveness and this love. If that's you, we'd love you to get in touch with us. Um, We'd love to, to talk to you some more, so do get in touch. Okay, so the first thing is we're defined by our rescue before anything else, before any requirements. Number two, we're defined by God being with us and us being with him. And number three, we're defined by life in the spirit. So if we don't need to be afraid of God in that he's not going to come and destroy us, well, shall we therefore abandon the Ten Commandments? After all, we're never going to be able to attain everything that they set out. No, not at all, says the Apostle Paul. Listen to his letter to the church in Rome. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. 
This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Do we then nullify the law by our faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. The commandments still define for us what life in God's kingdom looks like. But we can only fully attain them in Christ by putting our faith in him. He's the only person to have ever fulfilled them perfectly. But what we could never do in our own strength, we can begin to do in the power of the Holy Spirit as he fills us and brings about change within, from within us. And that was always part of the plan, by the way. It's, this is not a plan B because the law didn't work. Look at how the prophet Ezekiel describes it in the Old Testament. He says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I, give, I gave your ancestors. You'll be my people and I will be your God. And there it is again. The end game is always relationship, God with his people. The only way to live this life which pleases God, which is set out in these requirements, is by the power of the Spirit, a power that is not our own, a power that is initially foreign to us, which comes from outside of us. God himself coming to live within us by his Spirit. It's a totally new power source. As a teenager, um, I lived in Devon by the sea and I learned to sail. So we sailed around in a little mirror dinghy, um, which was quite tricky to start with. Um, so you have to, you know, you have to learn how to position the boat to catch the wind. You got to learn to tack into the wind and um, put up the spinnaker when the, say, when, when the wind's really um, blowing to take the full advantage of it. There's things to learn. But it's a whole lot easier than when the wind stops and you have to start paddling in your own strength. That is a whole different ball game, relying on your own muscles. You see, it's, it's not that you do nothing when you learn to sail. In fact, there's lots to learn. The wind is sometimes unpredictable. And if you don't handle it quite right, then you end up in the water. And I seem to remember being soaked to the skin most of the time. But when you learn to work with that power from outside of yourself, then the results are amazing and exhilarating. And it's a bit like that with the Holy Spirit. Now, please note, we don't have to wait until we're all sorted to be filled with the Spirit. The Spirit's not for advanced Christians. The Spirit is actually the only way to begin to be changed, to be like God and meet his um, standards. And this was the issue for the Israelites. Their awareness of their difference from God caused them to draw back from him. Look at verses 19 and 21. Actually, God wanted them to come close. The point of all this was that he wanted to dwell with them, which is why, of course, it's significant that in the Hebrew, these Ten Commandments are actually called Ten Words. If you like, they're Ten Promises that God's people will be able to fulfill these things as God makes us holy from the inside, as he empowers us by his Holy Spirit. So come close and be filled with the Spirit of God again. And I just particularly want to speak to you today if you feel like there's some way in which you're not living up to God's standards. There's some area of life where you just haven't been able to do that or you're maybe you're disappointed with yourself or you're disqualifying yourself from coming close to God because you feel like you're disappointing him in some way. Maybe you're stuck in patterns of behavior which aren't honoring to God and you feel you can't get out of them. But I want to say, with his help and power, you can walk free in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So keep coming to him. Keep pouring out your heart to him. Keep repenting. Don't be put off. Don't stay at a distance, but ask God to fill you with his spirit and empower you. It's the only way to fulfill the things that that he asks of us. Sometimes it takes a long time. Don't be like the Israelites who through shame and fear hung back, stayed at a distance from God. I pray today that God will fill you with his spirit. And I pray by the power of the spirit that he will break even today in us patterns of behavior which are not honoring to him. So let's keep being filled with the spirit. So in conclusion, be defined today by the fact that you're rescued. That comes before anything else, before any requirements. Know that God loves us and has rescued us. It's not dependent on us. We've been rescued and now we become rescuers. We join his rescue mission. Number two, be defined by being with God. Understand how much God wants that, that he's motivated by that. Be sure that this is the the center of your pattern of living particularly in the coming weeks as things change and we get busier again. It's like, keep that at the center, that we, but we want to be with God and him with us. That was, that was the whole point of, of his rescue mission in the first place. And number three, be defined by life in the spirit. You cannot live, we cannot live, I cannot live in God's way without the power of the spirit. By trying harder, we will never get there. So let's keep coming back to God, keep repenting, keep being filled with his spirit and let's keep asking one another to pray that we're filled with the spirit and can begin to live in the way that he wants us to may god bless you today and see you soon